Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then in verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Well, Romans is a letter that we revere for its intellectual depth. I think a lot of people would describe Romans as academic theology and as intellectual heavy lifting. And yet, as we read passages such as the ones that we just read in the book of Romans, we see that Paul's instruction to the church at Rome is as much about the Christian heart as it is the Christian mind. Where the church comprised of very different people and very contrasting personalities. As we gather together, we we are drawing near to the throne of God with one mind and with one heart. And it's in this process that we commune together with a wide range of emotions where we see the happiness and the blessings of one of us very quickly becoming the happiness of all of us. And where we see the sadness and the hardships and the tears of one as it becomes the sadness and the tears of everyone. Rejoice with those who rejoice, Paul writes, and weep with those who weep. You know, as I hear those words, it makes me think about Jesus. And that's because whether it is his Beatitudes or the fruits of the Spirit or the Sermon on the Mount or the chapter of love, Jesus is the one who shows us how to live this way. It's in his life upon the earth and in his activity throughout human history and in the history of this world where God the Father has given us a tutorial of how to live the Jesus way upon the earth. And as our great example in this life, Jesus feels so exquisitely. Jesus rejoices with those who rejoice in Him. Or as we live our lives for Him, and as He sees us loving each other and and loving everybody who we come into contact with. He sees us loving our neighbors as ourselves, and and we are rejoicing in Him together as we worship Him in, in one voice. 
God rejoices over his people with shouts of joy as we sing shouts of joy towards him. Jesus rejoices with those who rejoice. Or even when one of us has sinned, and yet we are heartbroken over the way that we've lived, and, and our heart and our prayer is, change my heart, O God. And we invite God to change the way that we see so that we can see as He sees, so that we can think as He thinks, and so that we can feel the way that He feels. And as we rejoice at our repentance, Jesus says that when even one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices with us as we rejoice our return to his kingdom. Whereas he says in, the, in his parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, where when the wayward son returns to his father's estate, and he's got the older brother who is boycotting all of um, his celebration proceedings, God, in his infinite mercy and lavish compassion, says to his oldest son, Listen, we must rejoice. I mean, how could we not rejoice at such an occasion as this? God rejoices with us as we rejoice. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus makes his entrance into Jerusalem. And as Jesus comes into the city, it says there in Luke chapter 19 that the whole multitude of, of his disciples are rejoicing over him coming into Jerusalem. And that is except for a throng of scribes and Pharisees who are over here in a corner and, and they are confronting Jesus and they're saying to him, you need to shut them up. Rome is going to view this as an uprising and so shut all of them up right now. And Jesus replies and he says to them that if I made these followers of mine keep silence and to stop rejoicing, these stones will cry out and rejoice with those who are rejoicing at my entrance. And yet then the very next thing that we see unfold there in the streets of Jerusalem is that after all of these emotions of, of happiness and, and loud shouts of joy cry out and, and ring out into the city streets, we see Jesus entering into this very emotional outpouring of sorrow, where we see that Jesus also weeps with those who weep. Where the very next words that we find in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says that as Jesus drew near and he saw the city of Jerusalem, we're told that Jesus wept over it. And we need to understand that when it says that Jesus wept over the city, this does not mean that Jesus had one crocodile tear in his eye just as a means of show. But rather what this means in the Greek language, it is the Greek word klio. Clio is a very powerful and a very fervent word, which means literally to weep aloud from the depths of your soul. And so as it says that Jesus looks upon the city and that he weeps over it, this is loud, disturbing, inconsolable, 
blood-curdling lamentation that he makes. It's the kind of weeping that I once witnessed at a funeral service where a woman was so heartbroken at the loss of her mother that, that she threw herself onto her mother's casket and she began screaming herself hoarse in her agony. As it says that Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, we need to envision his cries reverberating off of the mountains and sending chills down the spine of, of all of those who are within the sound of his voice. Yes, Jesus is weeping over Israel's heart of stone that they have long since had going back all the way into the days of the prophets who had warned them. Those hearts have become even colder and more callous. And so Jesus weeps over their hard hearts. Jesus is weeping because he understands that he's not the kind of Messiah that these people expected him to be. And they know that, and he knows that in a very short while, they're, they're going to nail him to a cross. And yet Jesus also weeps with the city of Jerusalem 40 years into the future, as a Roman emperor invades, whose name is Titus, and he obliterates and incinerates Jerusalem to rubble as he brings God's temple down, and the blood of, of Israel runs in the streets. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, looking through the veil of time, he can actually hear the women weeping for their children 40 years into the future. He can hear the people crying out for the mountains to fall upon them and for the hills to cover them. And Jesus weeps alongside the people, even these people who had rejected him. Just as Jesus weeps with all of those who love him, who find themselves weeping before the casket or before the gravestone of a loved one of theirs. And I mean, this is one of the most difficult things that we have to experience in this life, isn't it? When those who we love the very most grow sick and they grow old, and they die. John chapter 11, Jesus stands before the tomb of one of his absolute most loved friends, Lazarus. And as Jesus reaches into the um, Bethany, the city, Martha and Mary, who are the sisters of Lazarus, come and they speak to Jesus and they both say the exact same thing at different times. John chapter 11 and verse 32, Mary comes to where Jesus was and, and when she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Notice verse 33. In verse 33, we see two emotions welling up in Jesus. Or as it says in the first place, as Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had also come with her weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. 
Another way of saying this is that Jesus was greatly indignant. Jesus was experiencing the emotion of righteous anger at the sin that is so pervasive in the world that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where, where sickness and death and disease has infiltrated his, his world. And now it has reached even to Lazarus, his beloved friend. And Jesus feels an element of anger as he stands before the tomb of Lazarus. And yet secondly, though, it also says in verse 33 that Jesus was greatly troubled. And this is exactly how each and every one of us have ever felt when we lost the most special and important person that we've lost. Jesus says in verse 34, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then it's in verse 35 where we see once again Jesus' humanity so exquisitely as he feels and as he weeps with those who weep. As it says simply and yet profoundly, Jesus wept. And he weeps to such an extent before them that in verse 36 it says, And so the Jews said about Jesus, See how he loved him. It's one of, that's one of my most absolute favorite statements in all of Scripture. See how he loved him. And you know, one of the most remarkable things about Jesus as, as he goes to the graveside of Lazarus is that as the resurrection and the life, Jesus came to rescue and to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows that in just a short while, he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But it is so indescribably powerful and it is so indescribably beautiful that before Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, it's said of Jesus that Jesus wept. And that before he showcases his power over the grave as the resurrection and the life, Jesus sympathizes with us in our humanity, and he communes with us as the man of sorrows and as the son of man. We might wonder, why would Jesus do this if he knew he was going to raise Lazarus anyway? And the answer is, he weeps with us as we weep. He cares about the pain that we are undergoing so much that, that he came to earth, leaving heaven so that he could experience it firsthand. And now as a result of this, it's said in the book of Hebrews that, that he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And I love so much how Brian Zahn says it when he says that just as the blood of Jesus is holy, so also are his tears holy. We live in a world that Jesus has wept over. We live in a world baptized in the tears of Jesus. And I mean, he so beautifully exemplifies rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And yet, at least in my lifetime, in, in the experiences that I have 
had as a minister and, and as a human being. For a very long time, in far too many churches and, and environments, emotion is something that is usually frowned upon in churches. In some churches, there is a stigma attached to the outpouring of our emotions as we gather together in worship. And sometimes I think it might be toxic masculinity. Where I was in a church many years ago, and, and there had been a woman who had been studying with us, and she was baptized on a Wednesday night. She come up, and she comes up out of the water, and we're we're happy for her, but as I offer a prayer before her, I am moved to tears of happiness. I'm so overjoyed for her. And after I led that, that prayer and I broke down in tears, there had been a person in leadership who had actually apologized to her that I had cried as I prayed. We were at another church and there was a dear friend of mine who had lost his wife to cancer just three years into their marriage. And just two years after he lost his wife, his mother died in his arms of a heart attack in the living room. And it wasn't very long after that we were in a Wednesday night study. And I actually heard another person say to him, as he looked very sad and despondent, understandably, and yet what they said to him was, Listen, you, you just need to get over it. Just get over it. And that's because in far too many cases in our society, sadness and tears belong only to the women and to the children. And what the sentiment has become is that a man cannot be seen crying in public. So when the emotional outpouring of weeping and rejoicing rises up within us, do not weep with those who weep. Do not rejoice with those who rejoice, but rather reject those emotions. And man up. And impress everybody around you with what a tough man you are. And it is one of the absolute saddest, most unfortunate things that I've ever been witness to. As I've seen hurting person after hurting person after hurting person feeling as if they had to suffer in absolute silence. Because this is what has a tendency of happening so often. And you know, this is exactly what happens when we are more interested in becoming like John Wayne than Jesus Christ. I think other times it might be our sectarianism. When I was young, I was at a church where there had been a baptism, and, and yet there had been an elder in that church who gave very implicit instructions to song leaders that as soon as a person comes up out of the waters, immediately jump right into a song in order to drown out all of the clapping and the shouts of joy and the rejoicing that rings out across the auditorium. Because after all, we, we don't want to look like those charismatics right down the street from us. And I love so much what the minister of that church had to say in response. 
where he said that if all of heaven and Jesus and, and all of the angels are rejoicing with this person as they have been baptized into Jesus, what does it say about us if we're in here sitting on our hands, looking like we're at a tax audit? Although the heart is not to be trusted as the sole source of truth, neither is the mind. As the wise man says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there, there is a time to dance and to rejoice, and yet there is also a season to mourn and to cry and to weep. I think oftentimes we are just a little too much at home in this world. As James, as he writes to other Christians dealing with hard hearts of their own, what he says to them is, be wretched, mourn and weep. And what he means by that is mourn and weep over your hard hearts and your sin. See, they were living in such a way that, that there was no such thing as a season or as an occasion to, to weep or to mourn. All that there was was just rejoicing and celebrating and dancing. They were living in such a way that it was always July and that there was no such thing as winter. And yet he says, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom because all that you have is laughter. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And it begs a very significant question, I feel like, for, for me as well as for you to, to ask ourselves. And that is that we ask ourselves, how long has it been since I stood at the foot of the cross and I cried over my sins? And if we cannot remember how long it's been since we cried our hearts out over our sins, then we especially need to pray to Jesus, change my heart, O God. Make it just like yours. And that's because when we learn to live in this way, Jesus will not be the only one who will be feeling so exquisitely. When we learn to feel the way that Jesus feels, we also will feel exquisitely just as Jesus does. We will see the sadness and the desperation of people who we don't even know, of people who we don't even agree with, perhaps. And we will feel every last beat of their sorrow. Our eyes will well up with their tears, and it will feel as if their desperation now is our own desperation. And our prayer will be, God, Help me to help these people. When we care for other people as he cares, there is a sister in the church who recently announced that she had retired from of her job. And even though a lot of us still have to go to work early the next morning, and, and a lot of us aren't sure if we will ever be able to actually retire ourselves, we feel such absolute elation illuminating our souls for our sister. 
where it feels as if we are actually the ones who are retiring and, and at our own retirement party. When we feel as Jesus feels, as we gather together as the church, one of our spouses will succumb to death and to disease. And yet our hearts will ache their ache. And we will weep with them as if it had been our spouse who had just died. And yet we will also rejoice along with them that, that we belong to Jesus. And in the process of all of this, our sister or, or our brother in Christ finds strength to get out of bed the next morning. And when we learn to feel as Jesus feels, Jesus and his angels, observing the way that we're living, will exclaim over us, see how she loves him. See how he loves him. See how he loves her. And a broken and a very skeptical religious world is going to say, see how much they love each other. See how much they love us. And then they will know in their heart of hearts that there really is a Jesus after all. And that we really are his people. As we close this morning, I just want to speak about my grandfather for a second. Now, my grandfather never once led a prayer and worship service. He never stood up and preached. He never led singing. He lived his whole entire life with a speech impediment. And I can't tell you how many times I saw that man open up his mouth and, and have a beautiful thought in Bible class. Or have something beautiful by way of encouragement to, to say to a hurting person, but the words wouldn't get out of his mouth. His tongue had not sinned. His tongue wouldn't work. And he would just sadly walk away with his head down. And yet, my grandfather, though, was very well known, though. Where any time that something in the Word of God moved him in his heart, or the minister said something that was especially beautiful, or the words of a hymn struck in his heart, my grandfather was uninhibited in taking off his glasses. And shaking a pew with his tears. And that is why emotion in the church is so powerful. And why it is so significant and necessary for us to also share with Jesus. All of the bliss. All of the happiness and joy that he brings us. All of the holy anger that, that occasionally comes to us. And yes, even his sympathizing tears that we share along with him. All of these sacred emotions are, are the evidences that Jesus isn't just black and red words in a book to us. It is a confirmation that Jesus is alive in our soul. And that we are beginning to love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates. And when we feel the way that Christ Jesus feels, that is revealing to the world as well as to we ourselves, 
what we hold most sacred in our hearts. No, real men do not put on a mochismo front and sweep their emotions underneath the rug. But rather, real men and real Christian women hear the words of Jesus Christ. And they behold the deepest wounds of this world. And they shake a pew with their tears as they rejoice with those who rejoice and they weep with those who weep.